Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome to another week of the podcast. So over 11 years ago, I was pregnant with my first child, and I had received a copy of the Baby and Toddler Cookbook, co-authored by Karen Ansel, who I've actually had the privilege to interview as a journalist. I remember flipping through the pages and feeling so excited about all of the amazing recipes like red lentil and rice soup and spring green risotto. I couldn't believe how creative they were, and I couldn't wait to start making them for my baby. As a kid growing up in the 80s, I grew up on steak gums and tater tots, and so I realized that now, as a mom, I had the awesome responsibility of raising a healthy eater. When she started solids, I was amazed at how willing she was to try and accept new foods, and she loved almost everything that I fed her. What we feed our kids when they're babies can set the stage for healthy eating habits down the line, but how we feed our kids is just as important. You already know about purees and baby-led weaning, but there's a new term that maybe you haven't heard of, I never did, and that's responsive feeding. And really what it is, is a beautiful dance between the child and their caregiver. That's Melanie Potok, a certified speech-language pathologist, a pediatric feeding expert, international speaker, media expert, and award-winning author. Melanie talks about what the research shows about responsive feeding, how to use the approach, and how to get started. She also talks about the signs your baby may have a feeding disorder and where you can turn for help. There is a ton of timely information and tips in this episode, and I know you're going to enjoy this interview with Melanie Potok. Well, Melanie, welcome to Food Issues. Well, thank you so much for having me, Julie. This is going to be so fun. I love talking about kids and food. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been following you for some time and I'm so excited that you I finally, you know, were able to get you on food issues and, and talk about responsive feeding. So let's first talk about your story. Why did you become a speech language pathologist and a pediatric feeding expert? Well, Julie, you know, I went back to um, school in my, gosh, I was almost 30 and I had two kids at home, one who was a very adventurous eater and one who was a very picky eater. And I just knew that I wanted to be a speech pathologist, but I had no idea that you could actually specialize in pediatric feeding difficulties. So I really attribute this to my little picky eater, my youngest daughter, and um, and probably to my adventurous eater as well, because, you know, I realized that kids are just really different and we may parent them both the same, but they have very different sensory systems. They have very different little taste buds. And... Um, Food is different for every individual. I mean, how do I know that watermelon tastes the same for you as it does for me? We just have no way of knowing. So that's how I got into it. I became a speech pathologist, uh, got a whole new graduate degree, worked in a hospital in the NICU for a while, working with the little babies, and eventually went on to open my own private practice. And that's when I started writing books about it and lecturing. And here I am now talking to you. That's wonderful. And I think that a lot of people don't even realize that you can turn to a speech language pathologist for feeding difficulties, right? And so and so how do you work with families and, and kind of what should they know? Oh, that's such a good question. 
speech language pathologists and occupational therapists who have advanced training in pediatric feeding, you have to have the advanced training beyond graduate school. Um, what we do is we take a look at not only the medical aspects with the help, of course, of the pediatrician, the gastroenterologist, et cetera, et cetera, but we really look at those motor skills that are essential to learning how to bite, chew, and swallow safely. And then we take a look at behavior, why kids behave the way they do, why parents behave the way they do, and frankly, how a therapist can behave in a certain way to help boost all of those skills along. So speech pathologists aren't just about speech and language. Eating is the exact same muscles, and they're very intimately related. Great. And so when you're a new mom, you know, it's you're filled with questions, right? At every turn and, and especially feeding. It's, a, it's such an exciting time when you have a new baby and you introduce solids. But I think a lot of parents have so many questions about feeding their babies. And so what are the most common questions that you find that that moms and dads come across? Oh my goodness. When it comes to starting solids, they want to hear from experts on how feeding skills are supposed to develop and then they want to know, well, what can I do to boost those skills along? What can I avoid doing that might hinder my child's development? You know, we take, there's so much responsibility behind nurturing and loving our children and raising that little human. And it's a lot of pressure, but parents are very, very proactive. They want to know what to do, but they also want to know what not to do. And do you think there's just a lot of anxiety around feeding babies? Oh my gosh. So much anxiety. Before I ever got into this field, I remember just talking to my brother, who's a pediatrician, nonstop about what I ought to feed this baby when she starts solids. And you know, during the first couple of weeks, I was worrying about it. Like, okay, I think I've got this breast and bottle feeding thing down, but oh my goodness, what do I do when it comes to starting food? I don't even know where to begin. And and so there there is information for parents really everywhere you go about starting solids and purees and baby-led weaning, but there seems to be a new term, responsive feeding, but is it really something new and is it only for babies? Oh my goodness, that's the best question ever. It's not new. I first learned about responsive feeding uh, back in the late 90s when I was working in the neonatal intensive care unit. And it evolved from the responsive parenting model that was becoming so popular at that time and still is popular today. And it's been endorsed for years by the American Academy of Pediatrics, UNICEF, the World Health Organization. I could go on and on. In, in fact, responsive parenting has origins in anthropology, psychology, nutrition. And really what it is, is a beautiful dance between the child and their caregiver. It's truly about communication, which is why as a speech language pathologist, I thought nobody's written a book about responsive feeding for parents and how to start solids using this very well-known, well-researched, endorsed model by all of these big organizations called responsive feeding. So that's why I wrote this book. And one of the points I stress in my new book, Responsive Feeding, is that you can do baby led weaning. You can feed, you know, with a spoon, do more about that traditional model that I used with my kids. You can do a hybrid approach as long as you do it responsibly. And that's when you watch for your baby's communication cues and you respond by listening and respecting those fullness 
and hunger cues. And I sometimes I think, gosh, that sounds so simple, but I wrote a whole book about it. There's a lot to know. So what are some of the major kind of tenants around it? Yeah, absolutely. So we really want to be aware that a child's hunger and a child's appetite are two different things. Hunger is what you feel inside your gut. You know, you get that little rumbling and you know, oof, I need to eat something. But appetite is the way you respond to food and that feeling of hunger. So do you respond to the feeling of hunger by seeking out food? And do you communicate well and let your caregiver know by a cry or by sucking on your little fist or, you know, getting a little fussy that I'm hungry? Do you actually have that internal drive that you can pay attention to? And do you attend to it? So that's one aspect of it. Most babies, unless there is a medical issue or perhaps prematurity, that sort of thing, that overrides those hunger signals really have very good appetites, but they vary from kiddo to kiddo. And we really want to respect that because the research shows that when we allow babies and older babies starting solids and even our toddlers and older children to pay attention to their hunger drive and respond with their own appetite drive, then they grow up to be really healthy human beings. But when we use our own drive that, oh, I think they need to take another bite or, oh, they didn't really eat enough. When we start to listen to those, that fear in our head as a parent, because it's a bit stressful, we want them to eat. What we're really doing is overriding their cues. We're no longer having that beautiful back and forth communication. We're just saying, no, no, you really just need another bite here. Eat a little bit more for mommy. And that has been shown by research to lead to some very serious issues as kids get older. So we know for sure that being a responsive feeder is what helps raise a healthy, happy eater. Yeah, where do you think all of that comes from where we have this this fear-driven mentality that we need to just keep pushing food on our babies, on our kids? I think it's probably because we really just want to be the best parent we can be. And we know that so much of our role when they're young is to nurture and feed them. And when you think about even, gosh, back in Oh, my parents' day and my father and mother, you know, growing up in the depression, food was scarce and and every bite really counted. You know, that's where the empty plate club came from, right? Yeah. But we don't really need to do that anymore. However, we want to be respectful, of course, with the fact that especially in the midst of a pandemic, that food security is a real issue for so many families. And One of the things I talk a lot about in the book is how not to waste food, but also being sure to pay attention to baby's cues and offering just enough. And then if they need more and it's available, offering more. But the child decides if they want more, not the parent. So it does require some mindfulness and being present at the table. Um, But again, that's what communication is all about, is being mindful and being present and being connected. 
Yeah, that sounds like an amazing solution because I think that's a big frustration for parents, especially of toddlers, right? Where you're you're you, you prepare this meal, you're so excited, and then they take two bites, and the re- and <laughs> and how many times can you reheat food, right? So right, and so. Is there research around responsive feeding about those short and long-term benefits of it? There's excellent research because it's been around for so long. So we've had time to gather all the data. Many children around the world are faced with food insecurity, as I was mentioning, and nutrition concerns. So things like growth issues, underweight, being overweight, just that inadequate intake of certain food groups and vitamins. So in the most recent dietary guidelines that were published by the U.S. Department of Health in 2020, this is very recent, it was found that zinc, potassium, and choline were under-consumed by older infants and that 77% of infants fed human milk had inadequate iron intake. So maintaining responsive feeding patterns can promote more developmentally appropriate growth and weight gain. Um, Another study included over 90 pairs of moms and babies, and the babies were uh, uh, young and older toddlers, so up to about 18 months of age. And that study concluded that using responsive techniques, including positive reciprocal language that speech pathologists uh, teach so well, that those children were over twice as likely to accept the bites of a meal. So this This is a really important point that we want to keep in mind that the children always make the decision whether or not to accept a bite. But in the case of responsive feeding, the moms are taught to respond to their baby's cues with positive verbal encouragement, not, oh, take another bite for mommy or, or the airplane game or any of those things that I know I was raised with by a very loving and well meaning mom but responding to their baby's cues with the type of positive verbal encouragement that is more about being together around the table and not making a child take another bite. So we're not using words to bait the child into taking a bite. The subtle difference is that we're using words to communicate and to help the child pay attention to their own hunger cues, where they might want to pause and take a break, or they might want to stop, or they just simply might want a lot more because they're really hungry during that meal. That's what this is all about. And so, Melanie, is it time consuming to take this approach? Gosh, Julia, the best question. (laughs) No one has ever asked me that before. And it is the best question because we don't have a lot of time. You know, nowadays, uh, life is busy. And the one thing about responsive feeding is it doesn't matter whether you're sitting down and finally getting a warm cup of coffee. And being able to sit down with your your toddler or your baby or your preschooler, what you're really focusing on is the most important way to spend a few minutes of every day, which is you're focusing on family and communication. There just happens to be food present. So your little one might have a plate full of food and you might just have that warm cup of coffee that you've been craving all morning, but you're connecting. And you're allowing that child to really pay attention to their own satiety cues and you're supporting them in that process. And meanwhile, you're having this lovely time together. So definitely not something that is extra time. It's essential time to every family's day. I really love this because I think that there's so much focus on 
quick and easy. And it starts really in infancy, right? We have those pouches, we're on the run, we have those cups that you fill with Cheerios. It just sounds absolutely beautiful. And, and so you, you mentioned before that if we don't take this approach and we're, we kind of are food pushers, if you will, that it can have long-term effects on kids. And as they develop, go through toddlerhood and childhood. And, and so right now, why is this really important as we raise kids in the U S well, I think it's extremely important because we still continue to have a, a epidemic of childhood obesity. And I want to make it really clear to all of your listeners that responsive feeding isn't about only serving broccoli and beans. You know? <laughs> You're right. It, responsive feeding is about the connection and the love that we share around the family table. Or frankly, you know, sometimes we have to just connect on the sidelines of the soccer game as we're having a picnic while our older kids are out there trying to kick a goal. You know, it's, I mean, it's about being together. So when it comes to the long-term health of our children and the obesity epidemic, one of the reasons why kids struggle with obesity is because they aren't, they haven't learned in their early years to pay attention to whether they're hungry or not. Sometimes we respond to food because we're bored, because we're thirsty, but we start munching on something because we just want some attention, you know? Yeah. And, and that's all understandable. We've all been there before, but we don't want to create a habit of that in our children. And, um, we have such a big responsibility to raise children who are responsive to their own cues so that as they move into the school age years and into the teen years, they already have that pattern established. There's been very good research that shows that it's those early six months to age three or four, that that really important window in time where kids' appetite is established. And by age four, whatever we did to support our children in that process is now pretty much cemented in stone. So really? Wow. Are, yeah. These are crucial, crucial years to um, raise a healthy, happy eater for a lifetime. Excellent. Well, this is all great information, Melanie. We're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to get really practical and give parents some great tips about how to uh, know the signs that your baby's hungry and full and how to make it all work. We all know that kids love their snacks, but finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable isn't always easy. That's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids really love the skinny dip dark chocolate almonds and Lara bars, especially coconut cream pie. So delicious. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products, and clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. 
If you want mealtimes to be easier and less stressful, getting your kids in the kitchen is one of the best things you can do. I know that it's really encouraged my kids to eat their vegetables and try new foods, and it's given them a ton of confidence in the kitchen. But if you don't know how to cook or you don't like to cook, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. This course was created by a mom of four and former elementary school teacher, and it's designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. With Kids Cook Real Food, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like Tex-Mex white bean dip and homemade pizza. The course is designed for all kids ages two to teen and has three different skill levels. Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, make a salad, and safely use knives, the oven, and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. You can sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. All right, Melanie, so let's get practical and helpful for parents. So how do we make this easy? How do parents know that their baby might be hungry? Well, the first thing you have to recognize before you think about the hunger part is whether or not developmentally they're ready for solids. Because I know today we're, we're focusing on from that six-month stage and up. And just real quickly before I get into the hunger always recognize that there are necessary signs that a child is capable of having solid foods. And so that would be head and neck control, trunk stability, sitting up with minimal support. They're still going to need a little support, but minimal support. Knowing how to cross midline, you know, taking their right hand and moving it to the left side of their body and vice versa, bringing toys and fists up to their little mouth because they're going to have to be able to do that with food. And there are other positive signs too, um, but they're not always indicative of readiness. Showing general interest in food is important. Um, Showing interest in in mommy and daddy eating, that kind of thing, you know, smacking their lips, reaching out for food. Uh, Sometimes we talk about them doubling their birth weight, but those are not necessarily um, the readiness signs as much as the motor control that we just talked about. So now now we got the motor control. So let's find out if baby's hungry. So a few signs that they might be hungry or or full, because remember, they're going to communicate hunger, the need to pause or take a little break. We all do that during mealtimes. And then I'm done. So babies, especially that six to 12 month age, when they're, you know, they're just getting into the solid scene, they're really easily distracted. So they have limited attention spans. And they may not be able to communicate their wants and needs as effectively as they are older toddlers who are starting to put two words together. So watch for the following hunger cues to determine if your baby wants to eat. Eager expression or excitement when they see the food. They lean forward in anticipation, often with an open mouth. You can tell they're interested. They reach or they point to the food. 
Um, they will attempt to self-feed. I always tell parents, if you are going to use a spoon, come to the table on the high chair tray with three spoons, uh, one for each of their hands because they're going to want one in each hand and then <laughs> one for you. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Yeah. And then um, uh, when you do start to feed them, they really accept the offering happily and with ease. And you're watching to decide whether you should pause for a second and give them a minute to really explore this food. Everything is new to them. So give them a chance to really dig into it with their little hands or reach for the spoon or just play with it for a minute and get to know it. Once a baby is full, though, the satiety cues would include that gradual slowing down in terms of the interest and the participation. Um, they sometimes will turn their head away. If they really want to make a strong statement, they might arch their body a little bit just to emphasize, hey, I'm done. Some kids will push the food away. If they throw the food, that can mean that they're done, but it sometimes just means they've discovered gravity and they're hoping you're going to join in on the game. The biggest thing is they just really don't open their mouth and they appear disinterested. And we want to be very respectful of that. So once they're clearly not interested, then it's time to clean up the tray together, um, get cleaned up and move on to the next task for the day, going off and play or going to the park or whatever it happens to be. That's great. So I was scrolling through social media, Instagram last week and um, one of the influencers had posted a video of her baby and it was really a great, great video. So she would feed the baby a new food and, and he would grimace, right? And then yeah. he'd accept it. And then over and over, I don't, it, it almost looks staged. It was incredible, but, <laughs> but the baby just, you know, he'd, he kind of make a face cause it was a new food and then he'd be so happy. And so do you think that that's important to keep in mind too, that as you're, as you're, introducing new foods, your baby may not be excited, but they will perhaps come to accept what you're feeding them. 110%. And that is the art in this is trying to learn what your baby's actually trying to tell you. That little grimace can easily be, whoa, that's a strong flavor, but they can't say those words. So their body reacts with that little grimace. If you've ever watched any of those YouTube videos where they hand babies uh, a little slice of lemon, babies having lemons or eating lemons, the interesting thing about those is they go to take a little uh, lick or bite into the lemon and they make that, oh my gosh, that's so sour face. And then they go back for more. <laughs> that, that's the part to recognize is all of this is new to them. And so when they first experience experience any sort of sensation, taste, flavor, smell, etc. they are, your sensory system is going to react to it. But the more they go back for more, they eventually become more regulated and adjust to that sensation. Think about the first time you sipped a cup of coffee. It's a little much, it's a little bitter, but with more sips, you realize, oh, I kind of like this or whatever your, your drink of choice might be. That first sip of coffee is brand new to you. And that's the way every single food is for a little six month old. It's all brand new. So Melanie, you mentioned before that it really doesn't matter whether you start with purees or baby led weaning. It can all be a part of the responsive feeding model. So what should parents know about that? Well, I think what I, the take home that I really want parents to understand from my book and all my teachings is that 
you can feed your baby your way as long as you focus on presenting safe foods to them in a responsive manner. It's the responsive feeding model that's been around for so long. And although various trends in feeding are always going to come and go, and they bring really good new information to parents, what we still get back to is it's the baby's um, ability to pay attention to their own hunger and satiety. That's the bottom line. So I don't want to get us get, I don't want parents to get too caught up in the way they're feeding their child as much as the way they're communicating with their child. That's the response of feeding difference. Great. And for working moms who have a caregiver or a family member who's a caregiver or their, their child's in daycare, how do you broach this topic with them? <laughs> Is it a lost <laughs> cause or, or can we, can we have an, a line of open communication about it? I think what you just said is is the best way to approach it, a line of open communication. And one thing I know for sure from visiting so many daycares, Head Start classrooms, um, private preschools, you name it. I've been in so many. And the, the, the common denominator is that those teachers love those children and they want to support the parents every way they possibly can. So I find that the best way to help them learn about this model of feeding that's endorsed by AAP, UNICEF, who all of the above that I mentioned earlier, is to tell them that, is to let them know, you know, you were asking about feeding. I wanted to let you know that at home, we follow a responsive feeding model. And I brought you this book. You can see here on the cover that it's the model that's endorsed by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I thought you might be interested in it too. So I hope you enjoy reading about it. And <laughs> if you have any questions, I'd love to chat about it and see what you think. Because, and I always throw this in, because you feed a lot of kids. I'd love to know what you think about this model. So yeah. pull them in, you know, and let them know that you trust their opinion, that this is a collaborative effort and that you want to talk about it. It's not a matter of telling somebody what you want them to do. It's a matter of collaborating and deciding what might be best. And let's team up here and create a happy feeding environment. For kids who have special needs or sensory processing issues, because that's very common today, or yeah. feeding disorders, where should parents go to get help? And, and can they use, can they still use responsive feeding? You know, there are many, many ways. To help kids with feeding difficulties. And whenever I lecture on the topic, I tell the audience, I want you to go to as many courses as you possibly can, because there's not just one way to do this. And the reason why is that we really want to treat the whole child, but we also want to customize our treatment plan for that individual child and their family and what's going to work for them. So I personally use a combination of both sensory-based strategies and behavioral strategies, really just parenting strategies, while relying on the medical team to help me support the medical and the motor issues that so often co-occur with kids with special needs. But ultimately, my goal is to discharge that child from my care into a responsive feeding model. So does responsive feeding come into play as I teach the parents how to support this child in their feeding journey? Absolutely. There are many, many different approaches to feeding therapy that will get us to that same 
ultimate space of responsive feeding. Um, and just really knowing where to seek help is so important. So we always start with the pediatrician. And I tell the parents, pediatricians are amazing, but they are incredibly busy. And so it's very important that if you're concerned about your child's nutritional health and the way they eat, that you stress that this is stressful. Let them hear you. I am really stressed about this. I would like my child to have a feeding evaluation. Then the pediatrician will refer you to um, either a speech pathologist, an occupational therapist, local hospital team. It varies from state to state or where you are in the world. And that child will get a full evaluation to let, take a look at physiology, medical issues, motor issues, as I mentioned earlier, and how we can support these learned behaviors to help them learn, really learn to love food. So always start with your pediatrician and they will be the captain of the ship and refer from there. With stress that you want help, make sure they hear you. And so what are some signs that indicate that your child may have a feeding disorder? Well, it really varies from age to age, but in general, for this six month to about age three, where I think most parents really start to worry, is that their child is not gaining weight. Um, they're not transitioning from one step to another. For example, even breastfeeding or bottle feeding to solids on an appropriate developmental timeline. Um, they perhaps they vomit or gag very easily. It's not the occasional thing or because they just started solids and that's such a new sensory experience. We see a lot of gagging then. But your child vomits daily or is distressed by frequent gagging. Um, they cough frequently. That's a big one during or after mealtimes. Uh, they're not able to meet developmental timelines like drinking from straw or an open cup or using utensils. Um, they, their behavior at mealtimes is distressing. It's a setting for the whole family. Uh, they refuse to sit in their high chair. They repeatedly spit out food and they seem distressed or they demand milk only. Um, emotional outbursts on a regular basis, more than just being a toddler. And um, another interesting one is your child eats really well at daycare or at other settings, but they won't do that at home. And that's not your fault. There could be a variety of different reasons that kids eat well in one setting and they don't eat well in another. And sometimes it's just extreme hunger has set in. And then finally, um, that they have a really limited repertoire of foods that they'll eat. And rather than focusing on a specific number, it's that you know, I, this, I, I kind of reach for the 10 to 12, maybe 20 foods that I know this kid will eat. But that's a that's his safe zone. And that's not typical for kids. Uh, most kids will try a variety of foods if we simply keep offering small samplings. Eventually, they're willing to try it once they explore it. If you feel like they just aren't willing to, they're too anxious about it, that's a big reason to seek help before things get worse. Wow, this is great, Melanie. There's so much information here. And, you know, we'll definitely link to your new book in the show notes. But tell me, where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Oh, thank you. Well, I have a website called mymunchbug.com. It's also melaniepotok.com. So one and of the same. And that's where you'll find in the upper right-hand corner 
all the links to all my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. And then you'll also find a video course library where parents and professionals can take some on-demand courses to help with this. You'll find my live um, speaking tour wherever I might be lecturing around the world. And you'll also find my blog and um, additional information to support you and your family. Be sure to go to my YouTube channel too, because I have playlists there on every topic from anxious eating to how to talk to your pediatrician, exactly what to say to ensure that you get the right help. Great. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for your time today. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Melanie Potok is such a wealth of information and helpful advice. I really love chatting with her. Definitely pick up a copy of her new book, Responsive Feeding, which I've linked to in the show notes. If you're enjoying food issues, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review so we can reach more people. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode, and I'll see you next week.